Hey everybody, welcome to episode 34 of A Little Bit Famous with Ted Murata. My guest this week is Sherry Lynn. She's a beautiful singer and uh, she has a couple of brand new singles out, so I've decided to open the show with her latest single called My Way and close the show with another of her new singles called Bonnie May. I hope you enjoy our conversation and I hope you enjoy her music. So here it is, episode 34 with Sherry Lynn. Hey, let me brighten your day I got two guns sitting in my bedroom drawer One for you, one for when I can't take no more I said, hey, let me show you my way Up in the sky today I touched the sun I felt it's burning light Three little birds flew by Singing in my ear They said, Mama, are you alright? I got faded dreams And a pickup truck Turnkey things And a bullet for luck Mr. Elijah Craig's always kind to me For weeping willow days In your cherry tree Hey, you got something to say Your grace, my day. Give me a sign, give me some time. I got some troubles to spare. You make me mean, you haunt my dreams. I feel you. Are you there? Are you there? See, I don't wanna cry no more. No more salt in my love bed. Living captive in your memory I'm tired of walking with the living dead I know good men come and good men go The devil met them out by the side of the road Some men fight to die and it cost Jesus came to me, he said it ain't my My guest today is Sherry Lynn. She's a very talented singer-songwriter, as you heard from the tune I played at the beginning of the episode. She's performed with bands Last Fair Deal and the Jesse Chong Band and Fixity, and she's now at the beginning of a solo career. 
she released a single called Bonnie May about five weeks ago. And just this past Friday, she released a brand new single called My Way. Sherry Lynn, welcome to the show. I'm really happy to have you on. Thank you. I'm really happy to be on. Thanks for having me. It's it's really great to see you again. It's been a while. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed opening up. Uh, Bern, Bernie and I both in Fixity enjoyed opening up the Dr. LeFaber band last summer a couple of times. That was great. Yeah, and I was going to say this at the beginning. Um, you know, we've played a million shows and have had a million opening bands. And uh, I don't mean this as disrespectful in any way, because we were also an opening band many, many times along the way, too. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, if there's an opening band on, we're backstage or we're talking with people and chatting or we're writing set lists and warming up and doing sorts of things. So we're not always keyed into when the opening band is playing. Sometimes a band will really catch my ear and I'll pop out and watch them for a little while. And that was absolutely the case with you um, performing with Fixity when we when we played down in Duck, North Carolina at this place called the Tap Shack. I was sitting back in that lovely little tented outdoor al fresco <laughs> backstage because it's a nice yeah. outdoor venue. Yeah. And I heard your voice and I was like, holy cow, I was just captivated by it. And ever since I've when we see each other again, I, I, I love to listen to you sing and play. Oh, thank thank you so much. I really appreciated that. And thank you for inter introducing yourself that day. You know, um, you know, those are some good gigs. Bernie and I would play down there every Tuesday. And um, it was a special treat when we got to open up for you guys because we played earlier and we had a, a shorter set, but then we got to kind of hang out and just enjoy the venue and enjoy the music. And um, so, yeah, thank you so much for, um, for, for your kind words there. I, I appreciate you noticing. <laughs> You're welcome. And it's really not even fairly accurate to describe you guys as the opening band because you are a, a regular fixture at fixity is a regular fixture at, in dock at the tap shack and you you know perform your own shows so it was more like we shared a stage together uh but it was great to it was great to hear you and see you guys and i'm glad to have gotten to know you so yeah you too you too thank you well let's uh let's start at the beginning i you know i have some questions i'm very curious um are you from Virginia originally? I am. I'm still where I grew up, actually. I'm in Portsmouth, Virginia. And mm -hmm. that's, um, that's about 10 minutes out of Norfolk, uh, about, you know, uh, a little further, about 15, 20 minutes from Virginia Beach. And um, I grew up here. And, and then I went to a Shenandoah Conservatory of Music for college in Winchester. And then I came right back to Portsmouth. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. I, I have a fondness for Virginia. My my parents used to take me and my sisters down there every once in a while during the summer and go to Virginia Beach and stuff. And I, I always enjoyed it there. Uh, so, OK, so between the time that you were born and the time that you went to this music conservatory, when did you first start being interested in music? Um, not just as someone who listened to it, but as someone who wanted to play and sing and perform? Well, actually, um, my mom told me that ever since I could talk, I've been singing. And I've actually heard little little recordings that uh, of, of me singing to songs as a little girl, you know, Mickey Mouse Club, stuff like that, <laughs> you know, hits on the radio. My tiny little voice is pretty adorable, actually. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> and uh and so even as a a really little girl from my earliest memories 
Um, I always wanted to be a singer. I would pretend like I wasn't, as, as a child, one of my idols was uh, Crystal Gale. Mm. And I love her long hair. And yeah, me too. On. Yeah. So basically, I, I wanted to be a singer my entire life as far as I can remember. I don't know. I think sometimes maybe it's rare um, when, you know, as, as a kid, what your dream is, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, I, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a police officer. And to yeah. say what you wanted to be as a kid, you actually ended up being that. I think it's kind of neat. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. In a lot of ways, it's like winning the lottery, which isn't to say that it's easy. No. Um, yeah. And maybe we can talk about that a little later, but, but yeah, to do, to, to have a dream when you're a child and to have that dream realized is pretty awesome. It's pretty special. Um, did you grow up in a musical family? Um brothers and sisters or parents yeah. who are interested in music? You know, not my parents. And I do have a brother, not, not him either, but my grandparents on my mom's side were both um, musicians. Um, my, my, my grandma was a singer and she could play the piano some. And um, my grandfather was a singer who played the guitar and the piano. And um, they were both in the church choir. And um, from what I'm told, when my grandfather was a young man, uh, before he met my grandmother and started having a bunch of kids, they ended up having six kids. He, he wanted to be a country music singer. Mm. And that was his goal. And, uh, but then, you know, he ended up joining the Navy and became a doctor and a captain and had a bunch oh. of a big family instead. But they, they, they both kept doing it. They, they both loved to sing. And um, so that's where it comes from. As far as I know, on, on my dad's side, there, there weren't any musicians that I know of. And so I've always assumed I've gotten it from my mom's side. Yeah. And so did you, did you take uh, vocal lessons or you play guitar as well? I don't know if you play other instruments, but did you? Well, actually it was my uh, grandparents who got me involved with, um, actually my, my mother signed me up for piano lessons when I was a little girl. And I used to go home to my, to my grandma's house after school, had a nice piano and um, I would practice there every day after school. And so that was my first instrument was piano. And then, but I, I had always been singing. And so as soon as I was able to get into chorus in school, uh, my mom signed me up. I think, I think I was in choir in like kindergarten or something, singing about the rabbit and the bear and things like that. And, and so I was in choir every year uh, going up through high school. And then in high school, I went to uh, the, I went to Churchland High School in Fort Smith and I went to the magnet school there. And then I went to the governor's magnet school as well. So I've always been involved with music as much as I could be as, as a kid. And I actually, I didn't start playing guitar until way, way later. That, that's one of my big regrets is that I did not learn to play guitar when I went to college and I was in my 20s. And um, so I, I'm late to the game with that. I started playing in 2015. And so, um, and then I just started playing the mandolin in 2019. And those are the instruments that I play out all the time. And yeah. so it's like all, all these musicians who I perform with, these guys have been playing, you know, the guitar for, you know, decades. And I'm so grateful for them because yeah. they're so good and I really suck at it. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah. You're, you're very, yeah. very, very modest. But, well, I've uh, always been a singer. That's always been my thing. And my... Uh, I've always been in a lot of choirs, and when I went to college, I was in special choirs, chamber choirs, and uh, we we toured in Europe and things like that. And 
Wonderful. That's really benefited me very well because um, my specialty is um, I'm really, I can, I can harmonize very quickly. And I think, and very just kind of off the cuff. And I think that that is from all my years in choir, my brain is just trained in that way. And so I think that's where, you know, I'm, I'm an asset to different bands is that um, I don't lend myself very well on instruments, but I think voc- vocally, that's where I, I tend to fit in. So I'm, I'm really grateful for that. That's awesome. And we were, we were talking about this in pre-roll. I was I was uh, kind of apologizing for my voice being a little raspy today because the, Dr. Loeb and LeVand had a show last night and I was, you know, we hadn't played in a while and I was singing harmonies and I, I'm just not practiced enough at it or, or not doing it enough to really be able to recover as quickly as, as a people who do it really, it's their thing and their love. And, um, you know, I, and the harmony thing is is a, such a beautiful thing, and I'm envious of people who can do it, who can just snap to a harmony. Uh, you know, like I, some someone will have to write a part for me and sing it to me, and then I'll memorize it, and that's how I sing it. But I I don't really have the ability to to just find a harmony, and that that's always been something frustrating for me. I mean, I'm a drummer; that's what I do, but I do like to sing. So I don't know. I was actually thinking about taking vocal lessons to see if I could just practice singing harmonies more. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I love that. I will say, um, you know, vocal lessons are always a really great thing as far as technique and learning how to sing without damaging your voice. Yeah. And especially when you're doing what you're doing, um, having to sing the higher notes at full voice without going into your head tone. For a woman, it's called a head tone. For a man, it's called your falsetto. Right. And um, which is a more comfortable place to sing those higher notes. But, you know, pushing your um, your chest tone up into those higher notes, you can you can do some damage to your chords if you do it too long, you know, um, too hard. And um, and so taking voice lessons helps you learn how to use good technique and, you know, less less risk of damaging your voice. But as far as. Uh, learning to sing the harmonies, you know, actually the best way to train yourself to do that is when you're in the car and you're listening to music, just start trying to do it. Just start, you know, thinking in your head, what, what is the third above this melody? And then what's the fifth above it? Cause those are the, those are the main harmonies that you're really going to be singing above them, the melody or below it as well for, for you. I'm sorry, for you, it might be below. That's actually the best way to do it is when you're, you know, you're not too stressed. You're not too, not, not a lot of pressure, just kind of in your day to day, whatever, just driving around to see what, see what harmonies you can find on your own. And then after a while, you've kind of trained your ear to find them. And, um, and then hearing other harmonies in the song from other backup vocalists that are singing them and you can kind of start to learn it that way. Anyway, that's, that's just kind of how I, mm-hmm. how I practice besides the choirs and everything. Um, because I get hired a lot to sing um, backup vocals as a session artist at a music studio here in Virginia Beach. And so I, I write harmonies a lot. And that's, I think that that's one way I've been able to kind of hone in on that is um, just over, over the years, just kind of trying different things out. And now it just kind of comes out and I'm just really grateful for it. Yeah, uh, I, that's great advice. Thank you. I appreciate that. And probably great advice for people out there listening too. Who, who are singers or want to be singers. Um, 
I want to ask you about like your high school years or maybe maybe it was earlier before you got to high school. When did you decide that you were going to go to a music conservatory, like to seek a, a formal college education in music? Well, music is what I was always good at. It's kind of what I did. It was my thing. And so it's always been that way. And so, uh, you know, I, I think I, I went through different phases where, you know, as a kid, I would see different things on TV, you know, uh, movies that I liked and be like, oh, I want to be a, a, an executive or a lawyer mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, but music is what I was good at. And so um, it made sense to me uh, that that's what I would do. And I, I know I'm not even sure when I really decided. And I, I was, when I went to governor's school, my boyfriend also went to governor's school and he was also there for voice performance. And oh. we ended up going to the same college. And I think I really loved that college. And, but I wonder, you know, did, what, was I following my boyfriend there or, Age you know, question. That, you know? <laughs> no. but, yeah. um, music is absolutely what I wanted to do, but I actually ended up switching my major halfway through college though. I ended up getting that bachelor's degree in arts management instead of vocal performance. The concentration as a voice performance major is usually classical music and it's opera. And, oh. you know, I, I, I liked opera, but not that much. And also I had really bad stage fright. Really? Oh, let's talk about that. Yeah, it was really bad. And, um, and so I didn't enjoy performing uh, unless I was in a choir. I was fine in a choir. I would still get nervous, but I was fine in the group. There was safety there. But to perform um, a, a solo, there was just, it was just horrible. And so I was, I just, and, and I felt that was something I would never get over. And so I decided to switch majors because um, I didn't want to live with that stress and anxiety. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I did eventually get over it, uh, obviously. And it's a strange paradox now because I'm a lot more comfortable on stage than I am in the crowd by far. Oh, me too. Yeah, really? Yeah. You know, you oh, get- yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm in heaven on the stage, uh, stressed out and anxious in a crowd. <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird how it's changed? Yeah. But- oh, okay. Well, I have two questions uh, based on what you just said. The first one, which maybe we can get to second, is how did you overcome your stage fright? Um, and the second question, which maybe you can answer first, is artist management. What what exactly is that? What what would be your professional career as an yeah. artist manager? It's, it's actually arts management. Oh, it, uh, no, I'm sorry. Arts management. Yeah, arts I meant, that's what I meant to say. Kind of like arts administration. It was it's just kind of like the it's from what, how I understood it, I don't even know anymore, honestly. <laughs> it, it was like the, the business side of the arts. And so in every way that you can look at that, um, as far as managing artists, uh, being a, 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 you know, a, a, a manager or you know, working in the museum or something like that. And, and looking at it now, I, I don't even know why I thought that, was, that would be a good idea for me. I just it seemed safer. I felt like I was getting a business degree, but I could still, it was still kind of artsy and music-y. Um, 
I don't, I don't feel like it really was the right fit. Going back, I wish I would have gone into, you know, a music, get a music recording degree or a sound engineer degree or something like that, because I, I found that I, I really, really love performing in the studio and um, doing session work because um, I'm, I have this curse. I'm a, I'm a perfectionist. And so in, in the studio, you can get everything just so perfect, you know? And so um, I kind of, I, I wish I had gone into that area of music and could have, I could be producing my own stuff in, in a way. And I would know those programs and things like that. Yeah, well, you I mean the good news is that the that the technology is so much more intuitive now in the digital age than you know the, the level of of technical expertise you would have well you would have needed when things were being recorded to two inch tape and you know all that you know now you can get logic you know yeah. uh, or Pro Tools or whatever and if you have a decent microphone and a mic cable and a pair of headphones you can fairly easily begin to get to know the ins and outs of recording and you know, yeah. we'll talk after because I, I, I did it my, did it myself. I just figured out how to do it. And uh, it's great to be involved in that aspect of music beyond simply playing. So, yeah, I mean, in, in many ways, my question about the arts management thing was this is this is sort of the common question for people who ultimately decide to pursue a career in music or the arts, which is. Should I have a plan B? What if this music thing doesn't work out? Should I get a college degree? Should I, you know, da, 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 da. Yeah, I, well, I figured because of my stage fright, I wasn't really going to be able to have a career in music. And yeah. I started getting this. And I also just started getting discouraged about my chances of really being able to, you know, make a living in music. I just felt like there was too much competition. I didn't want to sing opera and that's what I was doing. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm just go ahead and get a regular day job and be a, a regular person. And then, you know, I, maybe I get to be in a band or two and just get to do that in my free time. And I felt like I would be fulfilled with that. And that actually worked out for a while. You know, this has nothing to do with my major, but I ended up being a graphic designer. And oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, it was just, again, it was just something that I was good at. I didn't really have much formal education, you know, just a little bit of training. And I ended up working for um, a local media company that publishes the Virginian Pilot, like the main newspaper here in Virginia. Hmm. And so, and I actually worked for the Pilot for uh, 13 years. And um, I started off as a part-time graphic designer and I worked my way up to a creative director. And um, during somewhere along the way, um, I had joined a music group and then as I progressed in my music career, I was doing too many gigs and rehearsals to have a full-time job. And so I was like, well, some, yeah. something's got to give. I'm exhausted. And I thought, well, I really like, I have a good job here and I enjoy graphic design, but music is my love, you know? Yeah. And so I thought, well, I don't, it makes the most sense to cut back on the music logically, I guess, but it's not really what, really what I wanted. And so... I asked them if I could go part-time with my job and they said that wasn't an option. And so I had to make a choice and I decided to resign and um, try music full-time. But then as uh, because I'd been a graphic designer at that point for maybe 15, 17 years, I just went ahead and started my own freelance graphic design company, which I was still doing 
graphic design work until right when the pandemic hit in early 2020. And then I, I lost my graphic design clients. I lost about 30 gigs and I went on unemployment. And then as things recovered, the gigs came back. You know, I never tried to get any of those clients back or look for new ones. And I just, I just stayed rolling with the music and so far so good. So yeah, that was probably a really long roundabout way to answer your question to don't remember what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> it, it happens. Uh, believe yeah. me, I know. Uh, <laughs> well, that's interesting. I'm wondering, did you, did you incorporate your graphic design experience into doing things like maybe helping yes. dig, do digital marketing for the bands you were in, a promotion yeah. Absolutely. Um, I was doing all the posters for Last Fair Deal, which is the Grateful Dead tribute band that I'm in. And I joined them in early 2013. And then I, I designed the t-shirts, the, the first, our first logo. Um, I do, you know, the online social media graphics and then some stuff for Fixity too, that, that logo. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely come in handy. The, that's something that does you know, benefit is having a graphic design background while you're trying to do music. You don't have to hire people to do that stuff. And so, yeah. But what you have there, I mean, you have business education, you have, well, first of all, you're an extremely talented singer and performer and, and player in, in your own right. You know, that's kind of the bedrock. But along with that, you have the business education, you have graphic design experience. As you were saying early on, you just know how to do harmonies. And as you were saying, you would get session work to sing harmonies. Those things as a package are, are a really good combination for, for a life in, in, in music and entertainment to, to, to know and have some expertise in all of those things. Yeah, it's all, it's all worked out, surprisingly. <laughs> and so, you know, like everything's pretty good right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we will get to the stage fright question. I haven't forgotten about it, but I, since you mentioned um, Last Fair Deal, this Grateful Dead cover band that you've been playing with for quite a while now, you, you're free to, to, to talk about that project if you if you like. But I wanted to just ask real quick before that, what was the first musical group that you found yourself in um, performing publicly? Okay, and this this might actually go in with the stage break. Yeah, yeah. So I was in my late 20s. And so, yeah, this this actually coincides with the stage break question. Great. My first, my, my, my first husband passed away in, uh, in 2009. And right after that happened, and we were already separated. We weren't together anymore. Um, we were, you know, kind of staying married for like, um, you know, health insurance and things like that. But he passed away unexpectedly and something just kind of, I don't know really what it was. I don't even know how to explain it, but I just started having this strong urge that it's now or never, if I wanna do something with music, if I wanna do something with my voice, I need to do it now. And I just had this drive to do it. What did I do? I think I just, just, did like this silly karaoke thing at my job one night and I was just I had I was terrified to do it and then I went to a friend's birthday party and there was this guy there 
His name was Joe Maniscalco, and he was his parrot head guy. He did a lot of Jimmy Buffett covers and things like that. And uh, he was playing the acoustic guitar and he was singing. You know, my, my friends from work were kind of egging me on, you know, Sherry can sing, get up and sing with this guy. You know, and I'm just, I'm terrified. I'm like, okay, let's sing this song. Let's do Brand New, brand new Key by, by Melanie Safka, which is one I still perform now at, at gigs, you know, at bars and stuff. I got up and I, and I sang with them and I was terrified. And then, you know, he asked me if I would like to, you know, do some gigs with them. And I thought about it for a while and I decided, yes, you know, it wasn't really the style of music that I wanted to do, but it was just enough to get me out of my shell. It was just enough to expose me to my fear of singing in front of people enough repeatedly over and over again until I just got over it. And I, and I realized nobody really cares that much. Right. You know what I mean, I mean, where yeah. I'm performing, I'm performing at bars or maybe there's like three people there or something sometimes, you know, like nobody's, mm -hmm. nobody's really listening. They're just going about their own lives. And I, why am I, why am I stressing out so bad over this? And then I started to just really enjoy it. And then it became very comfortable for me to be on stage. And so that's how I got over it. I just exposed myself to it. I forced myself to work through the fear until I realized there was nothing to fear. And that I just, I had to, I had to do what I was doing. It, it felt like I was supposed to do that. And so I did it. That's great. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting that you described it that way because I don't, I, I, I've never experienced stage fright. I've, I've always been kind of a comfortable in front of an audience, even when I was a kid in front of family joking around and being goofy right. and <laughs> yeah, well, oh, I have other, like <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have many other problems, but stage fright isn't <laughs> one of them. <laughs> uh, but I will say this, and it's funny because after the Dr. Lowe and LeBan show last night, coming coming back from the show, I was talking with our bass player, Tom Perosi about this, and Tom and I have played together since 1992. Um, he was the bass player, for, or is the bass player for Ominous Seabods, which was my band, and we've done many other projects together. And uh, at one point during the night, I was playing, and I was feeling great, and I was, you know, it just felt very loose, and then we were at the sort of climax of this uh, solo section, and I, I went to do a fill, and it happens sometimes instead of hitting the drum, my sticks sort of collided with each other and I managed yeah. to sort of stumble through to the downbeat. Uh, but for the rest of the song and for a few songs after, I was like, oh, I felt I felt cringy. And I was like, everyone listening heard that. And and yeah. and, uh, and Tom was like, I don't even I didn't hear anything. You know, he was standing right next to me. And, or, you know, what happened? And then we, we listened back to it while we were driving. Someone had done a live stream of the show you don't really notice it. And, and I, it gets to this point that I'm trying to make, which is we amplify uh, this, the, just the smallest little details in our brains. Maybe not everybody does it, but I, I, I know a lot of musicians who do, you know, who they make, a, they hit the wrong note, and, uh, you know, or I play a something not good. And then it, it becomes sort of amplified in my mind. Like the spotlight is on me everyone in the room is looking at me and judging me now, you know, uh, yeah. which is, yeah. I think for sure, a little bit of just anxiety, but, and, 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 and you're right. I mean, the, the audience is there for a good time to listen to some good music. Yeah. And they usually do not notice. And uh, it's, it's one thing that, you know, it's, it, 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 you know, it, it happens in, in every gig. And uh, 
you know, some, some gigs yeah. carry more weight than others. And whenever we listen, especially with last fair deal, circling back to that, um, we just did a gig at good vibes, this big, big, the big venue in Newport news, Virginia. And, um, there were, you know, what we're, we're playing the Grateful Dead, but we're not just a Grateful Dead cover band. We're a Grateful Dead tribute band. We're really trying to emulate exactly what the dead did. Yeah. I was going to ask so, you. Yeah. And so we are really picky about things and, you know, there, the, you know, even when the rehearsals go great, you know, there's, there's going to be some bloopers on stage and, mm -hmm. um, and, there are some moments where we're just like, oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe you did that. Oh my God. But I think, you know, over time, those things don't bother me as much as they used to, but they used to feel like the end of the world and that I totally, you know, failed, you know? And then now it's just like, eh, you know, people just forget about it. And half the time the audience didn't even notice anyway. I mean, yeah. you thought, we're at a great, we're doing a, playing the Grateful Dead, the room full of hippies. People are having a great time. They're partying. They love it. They, they, they love what you're doing, even though it's not perfect. Go back and listen to the Grateful Dead. They screwed up their own songs oh, all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so just that is part of the show. Um, so yeah, I, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting um, looking back on how I used to be with the stage fright, being hard on myself, dwelling on the mistakes and looking at where I am now, um, you know, it, it's hard to see your progress when you're living in the moment, but looking at the full picture, you're like, oh, I'm gonna pat myself in the back. I've, I've come a long way with things. So yeah, yeah. I, told, I, yeah. Totally I, I was gonna ask you, are, uh, were you a deadhead from, from a young age? Did you just come to play the Grateful Dead when you joined this band or what was that like? Well, I started listening to the Grateful Dead when I was about 15, mm -hmm. a few months before Jerry died actually. And so I never got to see Jerry. And um, which is something I always re regretted. Um, but the music has always been just a part of my soul. And, um, and so when I was thinking, you know, when I was younger, that I, I wanted to be a singer. I was like, I would really love to um, sing Great the Dead. And, uh, and then after I started singing and doing gigs and I was getting over my stage fright, um, I saw that you know, there was a local Grateful Dead tribute band called Last Fair Deal in Virginia Beach. And so I thought, well, heck, you know, um, I'm just going to reach out to them, let them know that I'm interested if they want a, you know, a female singer. And at the time they already had one, but then um, something happened in the band and she left. And so they gave me a call and I just kind of slipped right in there. And um, I've been with them ever since. Sense. And so, yeah, I, I did, for the most part, ever since I started listening to The Dead, I wanted to play that music and sing that music. And I don't just sing it at uh, with Last Fair Deal, but I do a lot of Dead with Fixity and my, my acoustic duo. And then also in the Jesse Chong band, I sing uh, a few Dead songs. I sing Lucy the Boogie, um, which is a, was, a, was a Jerry tune. Um, and I sing Hard to Handle, which was one that Pigpin covered but it wasn't actually a song that, that he wrote. And um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely, uh, The Dead is a big influence 
on um, what I perform out live, but uh, also in my own, um, my solo music as well. I make references to um, dead lyrics and things like that. And uh, things that, you know, unless you're a deadhead, you might not pick up on it. Even, yeah. even, if, even if you are, you might not pick up on it right away. So we'll see right. if it's in there. Yeah. I mean, I love the dead. I mean, I love them. And I started listening to them when I was probably your age, you know, uh, just starting high school or something. And I went through a period where I was listening to them all the time. And then I started being a working drummer in a band playing all original music. And, uh, you know, when I had time to listen to music, I liked I would, but I, I just drifted away from listening to them. Um, and it just, coincidentally the, the dr low and the band is doing this sort of special night next weekend and uh it's all dead tunes awesome Don't you so love that? <laughs> yeah so i've yeah it's been great because i kind of refell in love with them again because i've been going back and listening to the set list that we're preparing and and uh just generally listening to them for my own enjoyment but it's it's interesting that but the caveat here is I never played dead tunes. I was never in a dead cover band. I was in a, I was, I've always been in bands that played original music and it was, it's interesting and a, an interesting and good distinction between a dead cover band and a dead tribute band. Right. Um, right. Because there is something about doing as authentic justice to the band themselves, the sounds of the instruments, the sounds of the voices, the arrangements and things that takes it to another level you know, because any group of people can be a dead cover band and just play Grateful Dead songs. But the tribute thing is there's a, a very heightened level of detail uh, uh, to that. And, and also, I would say a bigger responsibility to, to, to have the yeah. audience feel that you're doing them justice. We, we take it pretty seriously. Um, we, uh, we have two, two drummers, just like the Grateful Dead. We, we have our drummer number one and our Billy and we have our drummer number two, our Mickey. And uh, we, we have our, our lead guitar player and our, our vocalist, our tenor vo vocalist, uh, Kyle Folsom. He plays uh, our Jerry Garcia. And then we, we have the man who plays our Bob Weir and rhythm guitar. His name is Patrick Higgins. And then, um, and then I, I play, obviously I play the Donna Jean role, but then I also play the Pigpen role. And I also play the, the Brent Midland role. So those are the vocals that I do. Yeah. Um, and then we have our bass player who does the fill and he'll, he'll, he'll sing the fill songs. And, uh, and so we all have our parts. Oh, and I'm sorry. And we also have a, a keyboard player. And so we all have our parts and um, we all try to do what the dead did with that music. And, um, you know, my, my husband, Rick was telling me, the other day, you know, because he was at our, you know, he always comes to our shows and uh, he was saying he was talking to, you know, somebody in the crowd who had seen us, who was seeing us for the first time. And uh, they had gone to see another local uh, dead cover band uh, and a few weeks before. And they, they said, you know, that band was great. He said, but that's fair deal. Like you guys really, this sounds like the dead. This is like the dead. And I was like, yes, that's what I want to hear. You yeah. know, that's, that's success right there. And so um, I'm proud to be a part of that band. I love those guys. I've been working with them for a long time now. And so um, believe it or not, the, our, the guy who plays our Bob Weir, Patrick Higgins, he uh, had a double lung transplant a couple, 
let's see, is it almost two years now? That's enough. Like yeah. And um, he was singing all the way. He was singing on stage and playing the guitar and, you know, jumping around as much as he could like Bobby with oxygen. He was taking some supplemental mm. oxygen going up through his nose the whole time and uh, doing a great job. And he, um, you know, he had pulmonary fibrosis and they never, they don't really know why. And, uh, and so he ended up getting a, a match for his lungs, got new lungs. And now we're just right back to performing like we haven't missed a beat. And so, um, you know, we've had some really trying times within the band and it's been, you know, it's, it's, it's been pretty emotional and um, we're pretty close. And so we're still kicking and hopefully will for many years to come. And we have a, you know, we have a schedule full of gigs for the rest of the year. And um, on my website, sherrylynn.com, I have, my schedule um, of all my shows with Last Fair Deal and also with Fixie and with the Jesse Chong band. And I'm updating it regularly and looks like I have another busy summer coming up, which I'm really grateful for. That's that's fantastic. And and that's S H E R R I L I N N dot com. Yes, for, that's it. for people out there. Go to go to the website. Um yeah. So that's good. And then, and then um, just real quick, I wanted to talk to you about the Jesse Chong band. Um, what, what, how did that come about? Uh, um, and then of course, I want to start talking about your, your new solo project too. Okay. Um, now Jesse is someone who is an absolutely phenomenal musician, songwriter, um, vocalist, guitarist. He plays the bass. He can play the drums. He can play the keyboard. You know, he's super, just one of those really super talented people. And, uh, when I was like in high school, I used to kind of go out and see him because he was playing. He and I are about the same age, but he was already performing out live when I still it wasn't even like a blip on my radar. And uh, so I actually idolized Jesse and I thought he was just the coolest. And, um, and so it's really cool to be working with him now. So when I joined Last Fair Deal, Somebody sat in with us, uh, Bernie Lee, at one of our shows because somebody, I think it was our, our Jerry couldn't be there. So he sat in on the Jerry role. And um, from then on, you know, I had met Bernie and then Bernie and I um, formed Fixity together. And Bernie uh, is in, was in the Jesse Chong band. And I thought, oh, wow, he's in the Chong band. Wow. And so we all kind of have like this network of musicians here in Hampton Roads, especially in Virginia Beach. You know, I, that, that, that's how I kind of got to know Jesse over time. And I'm not really sure how it came about, but I, I, I wanted to record some of my own music. And um, I think I was gonna trade Jesse some graphic design work if he would help me produce some of my songs. That's what we were going to do. But then um, you know, Jesse has a, a family and he, he got too busy. And so he turned me on to uh, a producer, a friend of his, Tom Gwaltney. And as I started working with him, I was getting Jesse to help me um, in the production of these songs. And while that was happening, Jesse was having started to have me perform with his band. And so um, it just it was kind of a natural progression over time. I'm really I feel very fortunate to be to be a part of that project again because he's somebody who I've always really looked up to. He's a really phenomenal musician. He actually just released a single called Cherry Blossoms. And um, he has a few albums out already. Um, and everybody in that band are all stellar musicians and stellar people. 
And it's a project I'm really happy to be a part of. And um, I'm just happy that these musicians even give me the time of day. Sometimes it's, it's just crazy to even think about it. So uh, yeah, you'll be hearing more from Jesse Chong. He's actually somebody you might be interested in talking to at some point. Okay, I'm, I'm yeah. interested. Uh, so, okay, so you have Last Fair Deal, you have um, the Jesse Chong project or Jesse Chong band, I should say. And then you have Fixity, which is, you know, kind of an acoustic duo thing, um, which is yeah. where I first saw and heard you was in that um, setting. Um, yeah. And how long have you been doing Fixity? So I joined Last Fair Deal in 2013. And then I met Bernie through that and started, we started Fixity that summer of 2013. And so what year is it now? So I guess almost nine, nine years. And yeah. uh, Bernie's an amazing person. He's been playing the guitar for over 50 years. And yeah, um, he's, he's super like, talented. Yeah, he's like yeah. my best friend. He's just awesome. And um, so Fixity is kind of like our bread and butter. You know, it's um, it's not it's not a big production. It's, it's not a big band. It's, it's just it's something more low key. And, uh, you know, we just have a couple of guitars and a man mandolin. We sing, we sing backup harmonies to each other. And uh, we, we can take a lot of, you know, low pressure, small gigs. And um, so, yeah, I feel like that's kind of, you know, our, our my, my, my maintenance music group, if, if you will. And yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess about nine years we've been doing that now. And it's been, it's been pretty good. All right, so I I have I have a couple questions for you. W one of them before we get to talking about when you because uh, I want to ask you about what made you d make the decision to 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 try to to go and do a solo project. Um, but first, because you know you mentioned um, the story about your bandmate getting a double lung transplant and and that you'd had struggles over the years, and certainly that's a gigantic an emotional thing to go through. Um, it's something that, that bands and individuals in bands deal with a lot, which is struggle, which, whether it's financial, uh, whether it's interpersonal band tension, uh, whether it's personal, personal, like drugs and alcohol or um, mental health issues and things like that. Would you be willing to share a little bit about if, you have had any very difficult challenges or struggles over personally over the course of your career so far and, and um, you know, how you've, how you manage those kinds of things. Well, you mentioned drugs and alcohol. And so that kind of makes me think of that immediately. Um, so I am, I've been sober now for, let me see, I have this app on my phone. I've been sober now for 854 days. Fantastic. And, uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, before that, I was a heavy drinker for probably about 20 years. Mm -hmm. And all the things that come along with, you know, party, party life, you know, and yes. uh, being in bands and in the music world. And um, I think that, you know, when I when I when I decided I, I wanted to record my own music. I started doing that and getting into the studio and getting acclimated with that kind of environment, I think probably in 2018 or 2019, I can't remember now. And that was the first time I'd been in the studio. And I thought, I want to get this out. I want to get all these songs out real quick and just get them out. So I have something of my own out in the world. And 
it's taken a much longer time than that for various reasons. But, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't just go ahead and bust out my music back then because I really needed to grow. And um, I wasn't going to grow until I got sober. And I didn't realize how important that was until I got sober. You know, alcohol affected me in every area of my life, but I had been drinking for so long that I just didn't know it. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I thought, well, it was at the end of, it was around Halloween time in 2019. And, you know, I was just, I was always, I was always hungover and just always, you know, recovering from drinking or thinking about drinking or drinking or planning to drink or whatever. It was just this integral part of my life. And I remember I was had another bad hangover and I was at a rehearsal and to feel better, I was drinking. And I knew, I knew that it was holding me back and I knew that it was wasting my time. At that point in my life, I was in my late thirties and I just knew I don't have this time to waste anymore, you know? Um, now it's prime time. Now it's good time. And I thought, I'm just tired of feeling like crap. And I'm going to go ahead and just quit for a while and see how it goes. So I set out to quit for 28 days because I heard this thing about no beer for a year. And I thought, well, I cannot do a year. <laughs> yeah. Most, <laughs> most people who, yeah, most people who have uh, either, you know, alcohol abuse problems or are alcoholics, at the beginning, they're like, all right, I'm going to do this like 30 seconds at a time, <laughs> not right. not one year at a time. You know, yeah. you just can't yeah. possibly think that far out. And, you know, I wasn't really a bad alcoholic. Like I wasn't I didn't experience serious withdrawals or anything. It was just it was just something that was always holding me back. And, and so. So, yeah, I was like, I can't do a year. I'm going to do 28 days. 28 days came and went. And I thought, well, let me see if I can get to 60 days. After 60 days, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I want to drink. I would love a beer, but I'm going to just see what it's like at 90 days. I just want to test it out. I just want to see what life is like from the other, from that other angle, you know, from a sober point of view. And so I got to 90 days. And at that point, things started to change. And I was feeling like I had this clarity that I hadn't had before. And uh, sure. I started to have more energy. I started to be able to work out more and I was feeling stronger. And with that strength came the motivation to continue to push myself and grow. And so I thought, well, let me see if I can get to six months. Got to six months, of course, let's go a year. Just kept pushing the goalpost out further and further. And then realizing I don't need alcohol. My life has really changed without it. Everything has changed. I've had to learn how to be social without it. I mean, it's, it's hard. It's still hard. I'm still really awkward in, in big social situations. I didn't used to have as much of a problem, you know, uh, being in, being in crowds. See, that's part of my issue with being in crowds now is I don't, I don't drink. Yeah. And so I don't, that social lubricant that I used to have. So, uh, but the biggest thing is one of the biggest things is that I grew as a musician. My intonation got better with my singing. I didn't have any of those videos to listen back on or look back on 
and cringe because I was drunk when I was singing there and you can tell and I'm flat or whatever, or I'm just, I'm doing something ridiculous. And I, you know, that stuff used to be embarrassing. I didn't want that anymore. And so my vocals improved. I started practicing more. I, um, I, I took up the mandolin and um, I was focusing more time in the studio and I grew, I, I elevated a bit. And so I, I do believe sobriety played a big role in um, moving my career along. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that I figured that out now rather than later. So Yes, right. Um, what can I say besides I identify with you? <laughs> uh, but I, I appreciate you being candid and, and, and sharing about that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a very, very common issue for people who live the kinds of lives that we do constantly surrounded by alcohol, constantly in places where, you know, um, and where it's so readily available. And so that's wonderful. And, and it, it, it is great to hear that you, you, you know, your progress, you know, you can tell, that you're 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 feeling better you're singing better your mind is clearer you know uh it, that's that's great um yeah even my, my producer told me um after i had been sober for a while he said wow you know you're you're really singing good there there's mm -hmm. such a difference like I, I can hear the difference and i was like yeah me too and i feel it and so you know there's been positive reinforcement and feedback along the way yeah, yeah. that's fantastic um, so, all right. So before we, we go, I, now I want to talk to you about this, this new solo project that you're working on. People listening have heard one of the, the brand new single. And at the end of this episode, they'll hear the other single, Bonnie May, uh, to close out the show. You know, what, what got, what got you to the point where you were like, I, I want to do this. And, and, and when did you start songwriting? Uh, I started songwriting kind of later again. Um, you know, I'm kind of late to the game on ev everything. What I'm doing now, I should have done 20 years ago. But again, it was after my first husband died and I had been grieving his death for a year or more. And I dream, I was sleeping and I was dreaming about this song. <laughs> it's just so crazy, yeah. you know. And I woke up and I started writing it down. And that's actually the song that was just released on Friday. That's my way. Mm -hmm. um, and I was struggling with a lot of things with his death and the circumstances surrounding his death, feelings of guilt and things like that. But I was having, and I was in a bit of an anger phase. It's the first song I ever wrote. And I didn't write another one until I, um, I got my first guitar. And that was in 2016. And then I wrote the next song, uh, Bonnie May. So that's the first, the, the two songs that are out right now. Yeah. I mean, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, so getting my guitar really kind of like propelled this uh, string of new songs that I wrote. And then after that, I, I, you know, I, I wrote several songs and then I just kind of stopped and went into a bit of a writer's block until, um, the pandemic, let's say so 2020, the, the end of 2020, I wrote another one called Grains of Sand. And so that was, that was that's my most recent song. And I'm actually going to be releasing that one um, next. So hopefully this early Great. this summer. 
I'm in the studio working on that one right now. So I'm not one of those people who just thinks of songs constantly, you know, writes songs all the time, has notebooks full of songs. You know, I know plenty of mus musicians who is just like, they, they write songs like nothing, you know, and I've never been one of those people. Mm -hmm. That doesn't come as naturally to me. It just, it comes every, every now and then and I just kind of try to take advantage of it when it's there. So that's how that came about. And um, I never really thought that I would ever write songs or, you know, cut a record or anything like that. Something that my dad always wanted me to do, you know, but I never thought that I would ever be good enough for that sort of thing. And so um, having a, working on a record right now, releasing these singles, this is kind of just bucket list stuff for me. You know, this is just like, I don't really expect anything to come out of it. It's just something that I wanted to accomplish and feel like that I didn't think I could do it and I'm doing it. And so, um, I mean, I plan to keep writing more as time goes on, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'll have another record down the road. We'll see, see how it goes. Yeah. I will just say, I, I hope you do. And I wish you all the success in the world. Um, you know, you are a great singer uh, and you have a really beautiful voice, you know. I, I So on that note, I just wanted to give you a chance um, if you want to direct people who are listening to your various socials and things so they can learn even more about you, check out the other projects you're doing along with your solo, uh, solo stuff. Yeah, um, you know, I'm not really that good at social media. I'm kind of pulling away from it a little bit. Uh, but I, um, I do have a Facebook and I have an Instagram and um, Sherry Lynn. And that's S-H-E-R-R-I-L-I-N-N. And that is also my website, SherryLynn.com, where you'll find a list of all my gigs. And um, let's see, uh, Fixity also has a Facebook page. That's my acoustic duo with Bernie Lee. And that is F-I-X-I-T-Y. Last Fair Deal is also on Facebook. And Last Fair Deal also has an Instagram. And Jess, Jesse Chong is also on Facebook, Jesse Chong Music. And on Instagram, Jesse Chong Music. And um, well, did I cover all of them? That's kind of a lot. <laughs> is that right? Uh, yeah. Most people have, you know, nowadays, most people have are like, oh, yeah, here's my uh, my Pinterest and my TikTok and my Facebook and my Twitter and my Instagram and my yeah. <laughs> whatever. It's it's like like a part time yeah. job to to just deal with that along with everything else that we do. So <laughs> it can become all consuming. And then when you add in all the Google calendars for your bands. And then all the, the other calendars that you have to keep up to date. I mean, it can take hours out of a day. I mean, just waking up in the morning. Well, I don't get up in the morning. Let's get real. Waking up in the <laughs> afternoon. You know, the first thing you do is look at your phone and look at all the text messages that you have to answer about scheduling and things like that. I mean, I spend so much of my life looking at this phone. I mean, I just, yikes. Yeah, it's, not all, it's not all fun and games. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. There's actual work that goes into this whole thing. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Well, Sherry Lynn, it's been really wonderful having you on the show. It's great to see you again. I look forward to hopefully seeing you out on the road, possibly in, in duck. Cause I know we're going to be down there in the summer. Uh, yep. Oh, great. Okay. I, I wasn't sure. So that's great news. 
Uh, can't wait to see you guys play again. Um, and uh, I wish you all the best um, with this new, with these new singles. And as we were talking in pre-roll, you mentioned that you were going to, the goal was to, to release more singles over the course of the next period of time. And uh, so people should, should pay attention to uh, and go and, and check out and her website and follow her on Instagram and wherever else so that, that you can get updates about Sherry Lynn's music. Um, so thank you again so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Ted, for having me on the show. I, it's, it's an honor. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. I'll see you this summer. Okay. Adios. Okay. <laughs> Take care.
which way to go. My boots have stomped these streets.